Welcome back to the Weekly Dish. We are in hour two of the program, and we have Christy holding on the line from the Ask Stephanie portion of the show. Hi, Christy. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing great, and I have to confess, Stephanie Hansen, you are my favorite, and you're my favorite fill-in host, so slightly starstruck. Oh, so, that's so nice. Thank you. Yes. So my question has to do with flank steak. Ooh. I'm wondering if... Um, I've tried different marinades. That's not as much the question, although a favorite marinade is nice to hear from you guys. But I'm wondering what you would say is the best way to grill it to get that pink inside that's soft enough so it's not so chewy, but the char on the outside. Okay. Well, I guess I have thoughts. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised that I have thoughts. Stephanie's making (laughs) a funny face. I was hoping. I first of all, I want to say that one of my favorite ways to eat flank steak is with chimichurri. So I would always make a Ooh. chimichurri sauce. That's one of my favorite things. Okay. Um, garlic, parsley, lemon juice. You can add cilantro if you want to. If people like it, if they don't, just skip it. Um, so I think for a flank steak, I would go high heat and quickly. Okay, quickly. Like how many minutes? Like it three. depends on the cut. Honestly, yeah. one okay. one of the things you should probably think though with flank steak too is that you you usually want to marinate it beforehand because it is a tougher cut. Yep. And so as long as you have that marinating going on, then you're going to be able to have a softer inside. So that means if you go high heat really fast, you know, really kind of flash searing it, you should be yep. able to get that like nice char on the outside. I would. I mean, depending on how thick it is and the the size of the cut. I mean, it, you can. It's kind of like a three minutes one side and then. You know, maybe or two minutes one side, and then maybe and then another. Touch it. Yeah, and see that okay. it's still springy and not totally, you know, like solid. And your marinade too, depending on the marinade you use, is going to kind of caramelize and help with the sear on the outside. One thing yeah. that's real easy to marinate meat is uh, the salad girl salad dressing, um, like oh. that. They have a chili limon or a lemon herb or a citrus splash. It's if you just. That is really easy, and you can even do like two to one, so you can add extra oil or add extra lemon or whatever you feel like. But I hadn't even thought about that. It's a quick marinade. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much, girls. Yeah, All and right. salad dressing in general. You know, like, did your mom ever marinate like chicken breasts in craft Italian yeah. dressing? No, yep. I never did that, but I did hear. But I mean, mine it was good. My basic, my marinade for chicken is basically olive oil, lemon juice, and mustard, and yeah, you salad know, garlic. Dressing. Yeah, yep. basically is. All right. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Christy. Good luck. Send us a picture. Tag us. Tag Stephanie March with all your coffee pictures. Do not ever do that. I will unfollow every single human who does that to me. Uh, By the way, the Pine Brook Inn is the name of the place in Princeton. Plenty of people have sent texts and stuff to say. So, yay. So, Pine Brook Inn is the uh, place up by Princeton that is uh, the place that you were thinking about. Yeah, that I think would be good. Okay. Top two. Oh, yes. Give him the old one, one, two, one, two. And now, the Weekly Dish presents... Top two, top two. The top two... Pick your best two. In our two. All right, give me two, winning, winning, winning. All right, it is the top two in our two. Uh, I will start with the Lida top two, which is the... Parlor Burger at Parlor Bar on West 7th Street in St. Paul. I'm embarrassed to admit I had not been there yet. It's been there a long time. Wow. And I always, like my husband's a big burger guy and we always end up with Shamrocks because that's his favorite spot. So our friends were there last night and texted us and like, hey, we're at Parlor Bar. So he was like, sure, we can go there. 
we get the parlor burger, which obviously is the same burger that they have in Minneapolis. It's beautiful ground meat that they grind themselves. It's a griddled burger. It's just on a griddled bun. It's perfect. And my husband's like, why haven't we been here before? It's right by our house. I'm like, it is not for want of trying. It's not on your list of five places, but I guarantee you it is now, friends. That burger at West 7th is awesome. And I also noticed that they have cocktail classes there. They have one on April 20th coming up, um, which this sounds really fun. You go to the cocktail class, you learn how to make six different cocktails, and they talk about the history of the cocktail. It's uh, from one to three on a Saturday and just sounds super fun. So if you're interested in that, the next class is April 20th. Okay. Parlor Bar in St. Paul. Okay, so my first one in top two and number two is the homage, which is the Travail Doug Flicker pop-up happening right now at the place that was last Brad Street Crafts House, but is uh, that Lowry Hill little spot. Um, it is it is so fun, you guys. Did you go? I did. I went to on one of their practice nights, and it was... I mean, they've paint. So remember, if you went to Umami, which was their first pop up there, they've already painted everything. It's like completely white and it feels so 90s in there. They've got big tables or big table flowers on the centerpieces and, you know, all this kind of great stuff. They're all walking around in white aprons and white shirts and all this kind of stuff. It is fun. It is very fun. And it is the soundtrack that's playing is totally 90s. And you kind of get into this whole vibe. And they represent each course comes out and it's inspired by either a local fine dining chef, you know, Tim McKee, Lenny Russo, Michelle Geyer does all the desserts are inspired by her. It's really it's really a good walk down for anybody, you know, who kind of started eating in the 90s, too. Maybe that was like your beginning because that was the Twin Cities really. Big. It was my beginning. For it was sure. the flick for everybody. It was yeah. like the moment that we all started to really get into that experimental Minnesota cuisine. And we've talked about it and the boys have been on here before to talk about it, which was great. In fact, the name homage came from when Mike Brown was sitting here on the show. They uh, Molly was here in, in filling in for you, and uh, she was like, "Oh, you guys should call it. You should just call the whole thing homage." And they were like, "Oh yeah." So, so there's that. There it is. I'm Weekly going, Dishers. but I'm not going until April 18th. So. Okay. Yeah. No. It's and it's on for six to eight weeks, I think, and you can get tickets still. There's plenty of tickets still available, just different times and different hours. Right. Um. It is worth it. It's worth the money. That that is a that is a beautifully cool. There's. I won't spoil the surprises, but there's you know like a there's like a chicken press. And there are uh, cheese courses that you get to pick. And it's just fun. It's just really fun. Stephanie, stay tuned later today because my mother-in-law brought home from being with her boyfriend in New York this implement that she carried in her suitcase. It's like 10 pounds, I swear to God. I'm going to like Instagram it because I think it's a chicken press, but I don't 100% know. It's probably a poultry press. Is it like, yeah, like a, is it a duck press? Like, I mean, like, is it like a thing you crank down and it's got a little spout? It's like a handle, a wooden handle, but it's this giant piece of metal that looks like you press down on something. So I'll send it your way. Interesting. Um, Get your feedback on it. Okay. My second top two an hour or two is actually a couple of places. It's this idea of a flower CSA. I love this idea of if you love flowers as much as I do, mm-hmm. uh, Northerly Flora has a flower CSA where you subscribe just like you would. And then you can meet her at Seward Co-op or Longfellow Co-op and pick up your CSA. Mm-hmm. Also, Blue Sky Flower Farm in Elko, Minnesota 
They have a flower CSA and they're specialists in peonies. Oh. So like that early spring peony bloom, they have different Love varieties. The peonies, yep. So that would be another great flower CSA. So my top two is get a flower CSA, folks. Okay. Uh my second one is uh it's the Minnetonka drive-in. Because oh. it's open, it's open, it's open, it's open, and it's a drive-in in out in Spring Park that is, um, you know, kind of just one of those fun little places, kind of on the way to Mound, Lake Minnetonka. If you're driving out there, they have a beautiful double twin uh, cheeseburger. They've got a double cheeseburger that Yum. comes wrapped in paper, and it's just delicious. They have takeout chicken by the tub! You cannot, and they house make it. You know, it's not like it's this, you know, commissary thing like a KFC. How many places can you go get real chicken not many by the tub i'm gonna tell you that 12 pieces of chicken are 27 bucks and that is a steal because it's so delicious that sounds really good so that's what i'm gonna say is i'm gonna say i'm thinking about taking out some chicken tonight i'm thinking about going and getting a tub and uh hanging out in the uh in the car and did you just say taking a oh taking a tub i thought you meant like you were going to be in the bathtub with your tub of chicken no 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 no. hilarious no not that but Um, I'm going to get the little drummies too, which are so fun. You remember that time that we went to um, the Wisconsin Dells and the family was in the pool with their tub of KFC? No, I didn't remember that. Oh my oh, God. Oh yeah. They were in the pool. They had yes, the food ma'am. in the pool? Yes, ma'am. Standing like on the side of the pool. No. Eating do their tub of KFC. That's a pool foul by any means. <laughs> and I know I used to own one. That is a full pool foul. A pool foul. You do not eat in the pool. You can drink in the pool. That's okay. But floaters, no. Yeah, it you was drop your funny. chicken, you're not going to eat it, and then there's going to be chicken pieces all over. That's right. Nast. <laughs> People have some decorum. There it is. I love the word nast. Nast. It really sums up, sums up lots of things. There it is. Okay, so okay. that is our top two in hour two. We're gonna go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna be talking about Able Beer. Mm-hmm. At Voyage Healthcare, we are still open and ready to see you for injuries, chronic conditions, med checks, and acute care. If you are concerned about safety, call to schedule a video visit. If you believe you've been exposed to the coronavirus or are experiencing any symptoms, please do not come into the office. We can best serve you if you call our coronavirus hotline at 763-587-7900. That number is also found at the VoyageHealthcare.com webpage. At Voyage Healthcare, we are here on the journey with you. Hey everybody, welcome back to Weekly Dish. Thanks for joining us today. If you miss any part of our show, you guys, don't forget, you can find us on podcast. Plus, you can hear some sparkling content that is just for podcasts. By the way, our whole trip up to Willard's was, of course, to not only just eat that burger, but to have a chit-chat with Chef Eric Harsey and Bradley Day and Grant Johnson and all those cats up there and to find out what they're doing in small town America, which is really cool. All right. Well, we are being joined right now by Casey Holly. Are you there, Casey? I am. Hello. How are you? How are you? Casey, I need to get to Willard. Was it good? You got to get to Willard. It man. was good. That is the man, that I is the jam. That's not. It's not a bad drive either. Cities. Casey is with Able Brewing. You guys. Now, Casey, are you the maltzer? Is that the deal? I am a maltzer. Yes. Um, <laughs> what even is that? Small, small malt. You're the you malt know, master. There's there's a lot of things to do in the brewery. Malting is one of them. So is there a brewmaster and a maltzer in most situations? Yeah, we, we, have a, we have a head brewer, obviously. His name is Bobby Blazy, um, and he's been with us from, from the very beginning, helped us open the brewery. 
Um, okay, so let's talk about Abel Brewing. It's actually Abel Seed House and Brewery, and this is important yeah. because that's a thing that you guys have made distinct about yourself ever since you opened. Tell us a little bit about Correct. what makes you guys different than the average Northeast brewery. Well, one of the reasons we wanted to open the brewery in the first place, sort of the impetus of Abel was that seed house part of it was to say, all right, can we grow or source Minnesota small grains? Can we bring them in-house into the brewery and malt them on-premise? And then can we make a beer with it? So we really started the brewery to try to answer those three questions. And then since then, we've been able to make um, five production beers with our own malt using Minnesota small grain that we malted um, on-premise right in Northeast. Very cool. Yeah. So I mean, very yeah. green to glass. Right. It is. Yeah, yeah. Do you know anybody else who's doing that same, that kind of thing that you're doing, or are you kind of like standing alone? Well, I, I don't feel like, there, well, so there's a lot of small malt houses popping up across the country right now, but yeah. there's very few and, and not any that I know of that are malting and producing beer with it. No. Um, so we, we may be the first or not the first, but the only one in Minnesota right now. We used to, you know, back before Prohibition, we were doing a lot of malting and brewing in the same premise. Um, but that hasn't happened probably since the 60s or 70s. And do you find that, like, malt is... So malt is... What's funny is, like, uh, you know, Caribou just launched a bunch of hot cocos and there's some chocolatey drinks with malt. And thinking about malt where people think their ah. first, you know, sort of... Uh, experience with it is in malted milk, you know, that canister you about, mixed yeah. with sugar or malts. But do you feel like, and when we talk about craft beer, you know, we nerd out on certain things. We nerd out on, you know, yeah. is it a cascade hop? Is it a mosaic hop? You know, all those things. Do you think right. that malt is that next sort of area? I don't know, but it's super important to us. I mean, you're right that the hops get, you know, sort of all the glory. Yeah. Uh, but we really tried to look at it like, what are we great at? in minnesota and you know five six years ago it wasn't hops it's still probably not hops no. yet although yeah that that industry is emerging and doing really some amazing things right now um but we just looked at like what is a great raw material that we have here in the state and we're in the grain belt it was so clearly minnesota small grains for us so we really wanted to kind of focus on that a bit I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't that there haven't been more. I guess is what I'm saying is I I sort of feel like you guys kind of opened the door and I kind of thought that there'd be more people going yeah 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 that. Well, we found that there's people that are saying yeah 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 that to um trying to source grain through us or work with us to malt Minnesota small grain or grain from their communities across the Midwest. Yeah. Um so that's been pretty exciting because we just said you know what, does anyone care outside of these four walls if we do this? Um, but, but we cared, and so that we kind of tried to focus on that. And we've, we've learned since then that there's a lot of other breweries and distilleries and food companies that are, that are interested in what we're doing and, and trying to find creative ways to partner. So that's been really exciting. Is it getting more, everybody always like kind of rolls their eyes like, oh my God, another brewery is opening up. Is uh, it getting more no, competitive? Where are you going with this? <laughs> Say again? Is it getting more competitive? It's definitely getting more competitive. I thought you were going to ask about the saturation. No, <laughs> no, we don't we ask that. Get that question, <laughs> <laughs> it is getting more competitive. Um, they're, they're, you know, people are trying to find creative ways to stand out. And we're, we're no different. We're trying to do something that's honest and that means a lot to us and, and supports our values. And, I, you know, I kind of see all the other breweries trying to do that same thing in their own unique ways. Have you been surprised at how much these breweries have turned into, like, 
community rooms, meaning like people coming with their dogs and moms with babies strapped onto them. I mean, people playing games. I'm surprised at how fast it seems to have happened. Uh huh. Because, you know, six, seven years ago, just visiting, you know, breweries in Colorado and California, I saw that, you know, quite a bit. So that it wasn't that wasn't surprising. But I think I was surprised just how quickly it happened in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota. It's been really cool to see. Yeah, and your tap room, I mean, I, <laughs> I was sitting there the other day and um, basically with my kid and my son, who is of age, drinking beers. But he, but I said, <laughs> literally, count how many dogs you see right now. <laughs> and there's oh, at yeah. least 12 dogs in the tap room, which I think is fun because it becomes... That's amazing. It is. And it becomes, and it was like, that was one of those great early days. And so people were inside and outside and they're getting the barbecue from the, you know, from the Animales barbecue truck. Mm-hmm. And it really felt like it was like they all wanted to get out. They wanted wanted to be out in the spring air, but they didn't, but they wanted to be there, you know? And then yeah. I think that that's such a gift. Was that last weekend too? And it was like 65 degrees. Yeah, yeah our it first was real patio day. Yes. That was amazing. We, we do see a lot of dogs on, on over the weekends too. There's a few that come throughout the week, but um, we've always been open and welcome to dogs. I mean, we're dog lovers and owners, most of us at the brewery. So um, that was kind of a, a non-starter for us. We wanted to welcome them in there. It's, it's very appreciated by people that own dogs because when you're out in the, you know, all week you're at work and you're not spending time with your dog and then on the weekends you feel bad leaving it at home. <laughs> and you yeah, want like, I can't, there's so many restaurants, I can't bring my dog into a restaurant. Right, right. Um, and so we found people coming to the breweries and coming to our brewery and now, you know, with animales there, they can get a great meal too. Um, so that's pretty cool that, that, you know, they have a place for that. How has that changed your business? Have you noticed a change in business with Animales there? It's been such a lift to the taproom business, like exceeded all expectations. We had, you know, obviously all the confidence in the world in, in Chef Whipley, mm. um, but, but we weren't quite sure the effect it would have on the taproom, especially in the winter. I mean, we opened it in the fall which is kind of a bummer because we try to get open for the summer, but um, <laughs> really just sliding right into the winter. Yeah, month. that <laughs> like, was a little rough. A bummer. <laughs> but it was really cool because people started showing up. Yeah. And they, they, you know, they're showing up to eat and, and drink too. So we saw it's been a really, really decent lift in the tap room and, and we're super stoked to, to see what happens this spring and summer. Now we've got a little bit of warm weather coming. Well, and I got to say, I am really happy about having a, like an actual restaurant or, you know, like one truck, like one thing I can count on because a lot of times yeah. I, and I get that the the tap rooms and the food trucks and their rotation, it's all important. But to me, sometimes I don't go to a tap room because I know that I don't want to eat at that truck. And, you know, I kind of feel like, eh, you know, so I like knowing what's there and having that be a constant, which I do love. So what? Yeah, it, it is a concept, and that's what we were we were looking for, the same thing. Like, how do we build a great concept that doesn't really exist and that can just live out here forever so there's no confusion uh, with, the, with the customer on who's going to be there, when they're going to be there, how much food do they have, are they selling out or not? Um, so it's been really cool to have just one thing locked in there. And, you know, on top of that, John is, is constantly changing the menu, so yeah, you're going to find something different almost every day um, coming in to eat there too. So, Well, and Anamale's, the whole concept and what he does is a destination, I think. Like, I want to go there specifically because I want to see what he's doing in his smoker and what kind of food he's smoking. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Let's talk about your beer that you're releasing this weekend. Let's talk about Better Selves. What can we look forward Mm -hmm. to that? Better Selves is a unfiltered tropical IPA 
um, that will hit the store shelves starting on Monday, April 1st. So Does this mean it's hazy? Excuse me? Does it mean that it's hazy then when it's unfiltered? It is cloudy. We're trying <laughs> to say hazy. There's a lot of like buzzy bud, buzzwords in, in beer, and, and we try to just be more explicit with what it is. But it is unfiltered, cloudy, tropical IPA. Um, it's a little bit lower in alcohol. It's four and a half percent. And then we kind of we kind of ramped down the, the the IBUs, the bittering in that beer too. Yeah. And then pumped up like this really crazy like tropical aromatics in it, so it comes off the nose with the really big tropical fruit like mango, papaya, that sort of spectrum of fruits. It's uh, and that you talk about it as being lighter, cleaner, much more delicate, and you know having it's kind of like a mellow, easy drinking thing, is what you're saying. It is, and it's super soft, too. We use a lot of oats and white wheat in that beer, too, which kind of just makes it feel texturally just softer. Um, yeah, it's a really beautiful beer. We're excited to, to get it in cans and put it on the market on Monday. So Monday is when the cans. You can find it at the tap room right now, but Monday is when you get it yep. in cans. Yep, that's right. Tap room right now all weekend. We had a party last night to celebrate, and we'll roll it all weekend and then out in the store starting Monday, yep. Well, and plus, I got to be honest with Ooh, the little it's a pretty can. Yeah, the pink and white can. Oh, I mean, I good. just feel you like, like you're just playing to the Instagrammers, and I'm 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 giving you props for that. <laughs> well, that maybe is un- unintentional. We're just always looking for strong design and strong designers, and uh, we felt pretty pretty good about this one. I love it. it Looks cool. All right, Casey. Well, thank you for coming on. Abel Seed House and yeah, Breweries in Northeast Minneapolis, and it's right, you know, Animale's Barbecue off of Quincy Street, and it is, uh, it's just a really good time. Look for Better Selves IPA in cans starting on Monday, or go have a beer, right? Come on down. Come We'd on down. Have you. All right. Bring thanks. your dog. Bring your dog. <laughs> right. Thanks, thanks, Casey. We'll be All right, right back. Thanks a lot, guys. Welcome back to The Weekly Dish. I'm Stephanie Hansen. Hey, Steph March. And we are going to talk a little bit. Uh, the headline for this segment is, can we talk about Ruth? Ruth, <laughs> Ruth Reichel. Um, when you talk about the early 90s. Yeah. So I graduated We're from... We're having a 90s moment right we now. We kind of are. Yeah. I graduated from high school in 1986. Yeah. And I promptly went out to the East Coast and lived there for a little bit and then stumbled around and then came back to the Twin Cities. And it was right about this time that I had my own apartment. The Food Network was on TV. And I started to really get interested in food and food culture, food magazines, what people were cooking, watching cooking shows. And I stumbled upon Ruth Reichel, who um, wrote a bunch of books, was the food critic for the New York Times, and ended up uh, being the editor for Gourmet Magazine mm-hmm. and also wrote a Gourmet Magazine cookbook. The first book that I read of hers uh, was, the very first one I read was um, Comfort Me With Apples. Right. And that was published in 2001. She had one before that I went back and read called Tender Is The Bone or Tender At The Bone. And she's proceeded to write books And what I loved about her specifically was I saw she's a good writer and she wrote the story of her love of food, interspersed it with some recipes, and you just really got to know her and her experiences through her food life. Right. And I just wanted this food life. Like, she had kind of a complicated childhood with her mom. And one of the stories that she wrote about was um, it's called 
it's just a little mold, mm-hmm. like how her mom would scrape the mold off everything. Yeah. And like, that was my mom. Like yeah. we constantly were just scraping the green white mold off of cheese. And when you'd open up a can of sauce or something, you'd dig the top layer off and cause it'd be all green and furry. But that idea of like your mom cooking and cooking with your mom and that feeling she went on to have more books. Um, another book that I like to recommend a lot for people is called Garlic and Sapphires, and that was 2005. Again, more of her food life. That was kind of about her being a critic. Yeah. And, you know, how she wore wigs and she was always trying to be incognito. Um, she then wrote a book that was fiction in 2014 called Delicious mm-hmm. about a fictional person that worked at a magazine that kind of fell in love with their editor it's not like a great tome. Yeah. But it's sort Did of. Did you read it? Yeah. Oh. And it's sort of good beach reading. It's okay. just kind of cheesy. Yeah. Um, but all the way along her career, like I've just really liked her writing. And then at Gourmet, she kind of lost me. I liked what she was doing with the writing, but she started to feel kind of New York y to me. It felt like she maybe had this weird accent going, like. I don't know. She just felt like she got discovered in this food world and it became like she was more of a caricature to me than an actual person. I don't understand. While she was at Gourmet, you're saying the Gourmet magazine. So this is this is nothing to do with the books, right? Or what are you saying? It's like as I followed the trajectory of her career. Okay. And then I would like see her on food shows and I would hear her talk on NPR. And I just kind of was like, huh, I don't know that the year is relatable to me anymore. Okay. Then... She Gourmet Magazine shut down Mm -hmm. and that was devastating for me in the magazine world. I know it was a big deal for you. And she has a new book that is out or that is coming out about that experience. Yep. And she there's the book is called Save Me the Plums. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a book about that whole experience of being at Gourmet Magazine and then the magazine shutting down. Yeah. And I read this article in Eater, and it has some excerpts from a chapter of the book. Yep. And I fell in love with her all over again. Well, yeah. And I just was like, wow, her being at Gourmet, her leading the helm, Gourmet and Bon Appetit, very early on started a app and a website called Epicurious, where recipes were funneled there. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have a website for Gourmet. And she kept saying she wanted a website. She needed a website. And this is while all this food fame is rising. And eventually the publisher of the media group says, okay, you can have a website for gourmet, but you can't have any of the recipes because those aren't epicurious and we don't want to siphon off traffic. Yeah. So then she's like, oh my gosh, how do I make a website about food, but I can't really have any recipes on it. Right. I can create new recipes, but I've got this skeleton staff. She had all the ideas about like, okay, we'll go behind the scenes into the restaurant kitchens. I'll have like foreign correspondents that can contribute recipes. We will like see a recipe that's in the magazine, but we'll do five riffs off of that recipe. Like she had all those ideas, but there really wasn't money to support any of those ideas. She was trying to create uh, technique recipe videos. She was very early on in the video train. Yep. I just am really excited about this book. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it is super exciting. And I mean, really, 
Uh, there's a great article in Bloomberg about the rise and fall of America's original food magazine. Yeah. And it's a really about how, you know, she talks about what went right and what went wrong with the beloved gourmet. Because what happened was, I mean, do you remember during the times and especially being someone who's in publishing, the the gourmet and Bon Appetit, you know, were bought and put under the same house. And it was like, who's going to go? One of them was going to go yep. and it was going to be either Bon Appetit or gourmet. And it was kind of like there was these consultants and all this stuff. And it really sort of. It was interesting to me about why, you know, how they did it. And they just picked how and they didn't just pick one. You know, there was a lot of stuff, but that it that that gourmet was the one that went because at the time I thought Bon Appetit was sort of ridiculous a little bit. Gourmet was beautiful and, and structured and intelligent and but also fun. And but and so Bon Appetit to me, it seemed more at the time, Betty Crockery, if you will, you know, and I'm not against it, Betty Crocker. It was but the like, more accessible. Yeah. And it and to me, I didn't understand that. I get it now. And what Bon Appetit has morphed into, which had to take some of the gourmet legacy, is beautiful. And I think they're doing smart things and they're helping an entire generation of millennials. Really, they've embraced that millennial thing and they're trying to keep the gourmet readers and keep them with some of the higher end things, but then also bring in the young ones. Yeah. And that's how they're going to survive as a magazine. It's not easy right now. Um, yeah. So as I'm thinking about getting I got on the list to get the magazine when, or the book when it comes out. I just felt like I wanted to just revisit her for a second yeah. and just uh, talk about Ruth, because I think if you. If you ask me about this show in particular, you know, what you talked about gourmet, I was like all Bon Appetit. Yeah. Gourmet was a little highbrow for me. It felt a little less like stuff I could actually cook in my home kitchen. But that's 11 years ago when we started the show. I knew that I needed to be on this program with an expert type because that wasn't me. I was the person who was going to read this recipe in Gourmet Magazine and try to make it at home and fail, but come out with something kind of good anyway, because I would just substitute ingredients that I had in my house and what have you. And it just, she really, she got me on the food train. Like her and my mother-in-law, I credit with really getting me to start thinking about food. And as I'm thinking about gardening coming up and the season and the kinds of foods that we want to eat, you know, I think I first learned that you could roast a radish in gourmet magazine. Well, that's the thing is the funny part about saying like it's, and here's the deal when I think about us and our, our sort of our, our lane because we do try to traverse all you know in my mind we are happy to have you know very easy fun things that are super easy but i also don't want to not talk about kanji because you know just because not everybody's going to make kanji i know you're not all going to make kanji but my point is is like now you know and you've heard the word kanji and maybe somewhere down the way or you'll see it in a restaurant and maybe it'll spark something and you'll try it or something like you can't ever get if you don't ever get past if you don't ever find a roasted radish just one little note you're never going to get past you're never going to break out and that's the beauty of food is that you have this potential and this ease with one little ingredient one little thing to give you an entirely new world of eating and living yeah and that's the beauty and that's why i was surprised that gourmet was actually the you know one that because i thought that had the bigger reach i thought it played a little bit more to expand yourself expand and that's all and i think bon appetit has covered that 
you know, they've done a lot of stuff about that. But um, it's just interesting because, and one of the things that they say about gourmet is that they, you know, magazines can't remain the same and stay afloat, nor can they continually innovate lest they lose their audience. This is the thing. It's a balance. This is the conundrum that all magazines have. And then we all, and we talk about them at our magazine too. And so it's kind of an interesting thing to, I am so excited to read this book from both an eater's perspective and also a magazine professional perspective. I thought you might be. So it saved me the plums, the new book by Ruth Reichel. If you want to just dig in, Garlic and Sapphires is a good one. Comfort Me with Apples, Tender at the Bone. Um, All of her work is worth checking out. Yep. Welcome back to The Weekly Dish. We did have a, a funny comment here that came in on the emails from Anonymous. It says, hey... I know I sound like a curmudgeon, but I would like breweries without dogs and kids. Any recommendations for people like me? I know I'm not alone. And here's what I would say to you, curmudgeon. Bars. Go to your favorite dive bar and sit at the bar. You know, because that's where it's less comfortable to be with small kids. Yeah, I mean, yeah, or go during the week. I guess. Yeah, I guess maybe the other side of it is you can go midday. On, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when or people Wednesday, are at work, Wednesday, Thursday, go early or go late. You know, that's also an option too to avoid the people, so you can still get your good beer. But yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of there's so many other places that don't allow dogs that those are the places that kind of they get to now. And I think yeah. that years there's plenty of other places you can go and anywhere that has. Food service inside the restaurant. Yeah, can't have can't dogs. have pets. Right. So use that as your guide. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, actually, then the Urban Growler, those ladies down in St. Paul or St. Anthony Park, they have food service in the restaurant in the growl in the brewery. So that's a really good one that you could probably go oh, to. Good one. I can't talk about the kids. I don't really know about that. <laughs> You're gonna have to deal with humanity in all ages and forms. So sorry. Keep your kids at home. Yeah, not from breweries, man. Oh, that's funny. That's the one place they can run. So. Yeah. So what's going on this week? What do you got going on? Is there anything fun? I'm very excited about the vintage market at Tattersall tomorrow. Yep. Um, first of all, I love Tattersall and I love vintage things. It's going to be tomorrow from two to six. There's tickets still available. Um, you can refresh your spring look. Duluth Coffee is going to be there. Uh, vendors include the Buttered Tin, uh, elsewhere Vintage, The House of Verna, Noisy Eye Vintage, Soft Abuse Records, just some fun ones. Okay. Um, do you know that it's Maple Fest out of the Arboretum today? Mm. I'm not 100% sure there's still tickets left, but it basically, you guys, it's a free admission for non-members, which means you can just get in the gate. Uh, in There's an all-you-can-eat pancake feast happening. Plus, you get to learn about maple syruping. It's the maple, it's the sugar shack tours. It's learning how to, like... You know, uh, to use a spile and tap your tree and maybe how to boil down. It's really interesting if you're into that kind of thing. I love it. I've loved that one. Um, There's a Grand Makers Market at Grand and Victoria today. Grand and Victoria, the corner in the building there. Mm -hmm. It's a pop-up of literal makers. So not just food products, but people making belts and gloves and uh, purses and hats and clothing and that kind of thing. Cool. So that's fun. And that's, uh, that's free just at Grand and Victoria in the building there. Cool. Um, up. Coming up at the Lynn hall on April 8th, uh, this week, this coming week um, is actually, it's in a, it's in two weeks is an interesting um 
thing from uh, it's kind of a panel discussion. Yeah, insiders or outsider who owns Asian food, and it's kind of I'm just kind of it's very interesting about the stakeholders of our local Asian food scene. How do DNA and or lineage factor into who cooks and represents Asian cuisines? How do you distinguish between cultural appropriation and appreciation when running a business? You know, all the questions that I think a lot of people have been struggling with in supporting restaurants and doing the right thing and all the stuff. So they have, you know, Anna Med from Lat 14 will be there. Raghavana Yer, um, you know, for, who just opened Pizza Karma, um, which is definitely not any one Asian influence. No. It's a bunch. Uh, Yevang from, uh, you know, Union Kitchen will be there as well. Uh, Hai Trong from non-Vietnamese Beatrice. So lots of great, interesting uh, perspectives. It's kind of an interesting one I would go see. It's only 15 bucks, and it's on a Monday night from 7 to 9, and there will be snacks afterwards. Snacks? Because snacks, snacks. are important. Everybody always likes the snacks. Yeah, right. Very true. Um, if you're looking to, uh, did you go to, you didn't do any fish fry last night, did you? No, no I did some last week, though. Yeah. I went to two. I went to Holy Maronite. We talked. Holy Matthews. We talked about those yep. last week. Um, Tiffany Sports Lounge, Sports Lounge is one I just found. I wanted to make sure you oh, know. Oh, I do love Tiff's. I know, Tiff's. And I was thinking like if you're... We if, all drank underage at Tiff's. That oh was our first underage drinking spot back in the day, not they're, today. They're way more legal now. Yes. Uh, but what I was thinking is with all like the Final Four and crazy stuff happening, it might be fun to go on a Friday to Tiff's and do the, do the watch parties. Sometimes it's fun to go in the afternoon with your work friends and drink and watch Final Four games. Yeah. <laughs> saying people people do that all the, like that's a thing right uh tiffany sports lounge their fish fry you guys their friday fish fry is 13.95 for all you can eat from 6 to 9 p.m summit hand dipped summit battered fish yum that sounds raw god someone was uh taking me to task because i didn't talk about any of the coleslaws in the fish fries that i visited I, I how mean, do you feel about coleslaw i was gonna say that's kind of a weird i mean like you either like you're either a coleslaw person or you're not yeah, the coleslaw at anchor fish, like that is some coleslaw I can get behind. It's got raisins, it's got carrots, it's got purple That's cabbage. Nasty to me. It's good. Nasty. It's actually pretty good. It's not too sweet. But coleslaw is in it as a rule, it generally is like out of someone's gloppy package. So I don't know. Yeah. If it's worthy coleslaw, I'll tell you. If yeah. I'm not mentioning it, it's because it's school lunch coleslaw. Yeah. Which sometimes has its place. Yeah. Who I, can you think of anyone that has good coleslaw that you like? Uh, no, I don't like. I don't prefer coleslaw. I'm not. I'm not on that train. She's like, I don't let no. me in with coleslaw. No, I'm not in. I'm not playing that game. I will take a bite of it, and if it's like somehow surprisingly delicious, that's great. Fresh or tangy? But or... I'm not. Yeah, I'm not looking for coleslaws, and I'm not gonna. If there's a choice between that and like a salad, I'm going salad every time. I made a, a coleslaw this week for dinner with kale. Red cabbage, green onions, cilantro, carrots, just kind of threw it all together. And then I massaged it with some good dressings. And then we served um, a grilled chicken on it and I made a mojo. Yeah. Oh, if you have cilantro, that's like you need to use it up before it goes. Yeah. Blending that up with some vinegar, some oil, some lemon makes a sauce that you can keep for a while and you could even put it into ice cube trays in the freezer and it's amazing just with a piece of grilled meat. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. Kurt was like, you are the best cook. This is amazing. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, I'm giving you a kale salad and coleslaw and you're loving it. Woo. I know. I know. 
Yeah, I think that a lot of people were lighting up the grills this week again yeah. and cleaning them off. You and, can finally see it. Yeah, you can finally. Mine worked. I was like, well, let's see. Is this going to work or not? Kurt Never wanted know. us to sell ours and get like one of those. Uh, let's get one of those that go on the patio, like the George Foreman size. I'm like, wait, what? No, we have not retired to the point of getting the one person weird grill that you put on a table that in, the be in the backyard. Yeah, no, no. You want Stop. like propane, you want firepower. I want firepower. my big six burner grill, friend. That's what I want. And you, I have it. It's in the backyard. It. It's in your backyard. He's like, it's so big. He doesn't want oh, it to be. Oh, he's in a way. Okay. <laughs> he's just <laughs> in a way. Kurt's not listening to you barrage. <laughs> no, he's fine. He knows. <laughs> well, we haven't mentioned the James Beard ladies. So oh, let's, let's just say that how congratulations out to the ladies who are headed to the James Beard Awards on May 6th. Uh, I know that we had a whole podcast about the James Beards, and so, and there are things, and I, like I said, the long list is very flattering to everybody, and it's all um, going to condense into the short list, and it did, and lovely to see that it's Jamie Malone Chris, from Grand Cafe and Eastside, Christina Noyan from Hi Hi and Ola Repa, and and Kim, of course, from Young Joni. Lovely to see them there. I think it's going to be a blast. For them to go and yep. have the fun, and I kind of want to tag along. So, if you're looking for the podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, look for Weekly Dish, and you'll find content there that is different than the show. Right. We'll see you later. All right, everybody, have a great Saturday. Ciao, ciao. This is a summer to stay connected locally. From the pandemic to protests to the upcoming election, there is so much information to take in. And on Pod MN, you can access hundreds of Minnesota-made podcasts on one app. Current events, health information, political talk. Plus, you'll find podcasts about sports, true crime, and more. Pod MN also comes with listener rewards. In July, you can win gift cards to local restaurants, shops, and more just for listening. Download Pod MN on your phone's app store or learn more by visiting podmn.com. Minnesota podcasts live here.